Henry Ford brought us the first automotive revolution a century ago. Today, on the edge of the next, Ford CEO Mark Fields joins us to discuss where automakers go from here. Coming up next on AutoLine This Week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine This Week. Today we're going to be talking about the Ford Motor Company, and that's because my special guest is Mark Fields, the president and the chief executive officer of the Ford Motor Company. Mark, it's great to have you on the show. Always good to be on, John. Really enjoy it. Thanks. And we're also uh, joining me today have Bill Vlasic from the New York Times and Keith Naughton from Bloomberg. I want to thank both of you for having joined us here today, too. Thanks, John. My pleasure, Jim. Let's jump right into it, Mark. Sure, there's all this talk about mobility and uh, the transformation of the Ford Motor Company. Some people say, oh, with all this car sharing and ride sharing and ultimately autonomous cars, we're not going to need as many cars. Other people say, no, 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 with all this mobility being available, we're going to see more vehicle miles traveled, so we're going to need more cars. How does the Ford Motor Company see it? Well, first off, uh, we just had our investor day a number of weeks ago, and, and our view is by the end of next decade, by the end of 2030, our, our projection is one out of every five vehicles could be an autonomous vehicle uh, car. And the reason for that is because we see in dense urban areas, whether it's just the cost of vehicles or just legislation through congestion charges or otherwise, you could see less vehicle density in downtown areas, uh, which would bring the industry down. But to your point, when something becomes more affordable and more available, people use it more. So you could see the usage of vehicles going up, which means more miles racking up on vehicles quicker than personally owned vehicles, which would be a benefit to increasing the industry. So more or less. So, you know, it's, it, I actually think it's still too early to tell. There's lots of projections out there. It's going to come down to the adoption from consumers as they look at autonomous vehicles to allow them to get around urban areas and how they adopt to it, the technology, the economics around it. Uh, but, you know, overall, we see AVs in general as uh, will become a, a, a big piece, up to 20 percent of the industry. How big that industry is, we're going to have to see. What's your research telling you about how consumers perceive autonomous vehicles and whether they'll be comfortable in a, uh, being driven by their own car? It depends on which survey you, uh, you, you read about. There's some that says, oh, I'll never, I'll never get into an AV vehicle. Others that says, I'd love to. Uh, you know, from our standpoint, I think, you know, it, it comes down to what is the, the job to be done for an autonomous vehicle. And for a lot of folks, there, there's folks out there who, who don't like to drive. And they'd rather spend their time in their vehicle listening to their, you know, reading their iPad, listening to their iPod, you know, getting entertained, doing work, etc. There are others who really like to drive and it's not only because it gets them from point A to point B but it's also somewhat therapeutic right you like getting in your car and driving um, so overall we think that once uh, people experience it that over time it will get adopted pretty quickly because that job to be done particularly in an urban area is get me from point A to point B do it easily and do it very efficiently and cheaply as possible Mark, you've said you want to do it without the steering wheel, without the gas pedal and the brake pedal. Others want to have that in there for the human to take over in an emergency, but you don't. Why not? Well, we have, uh, there's different levels of autonomy, as you know, uh, level you know, one through five as, de as defined by the Society of Automotive Engineers. 
And our approach on uh, going to a level four vehicle is that's where the passenger or the person being driven doesn't have to uh, t be prepared to take control of the vehicle. And we think that's important because there's uh, level three, which is the driver should always be prepared. Our, our challenge there is we struggle a bit to figure out what is the, a, a timely and responsible way for the driver to actually take control. Uh, up to a level two vehicle, and you know we're we're a leader in a lot of the technologies around there. We feel very comfortable with, but it's that you know things happen so fast, particularly when you're in uh, mid to high speed situations. That handoff is is could be tricky. So we want to focus our team on a level four vehicle, no steering wheel, no you know brake pedals, no gas pedals, uh, to give people the confidence because they have to have the confidence that this technology is going to work. It's going to keep them safe and it's going to do what they expected them to do in terms of getting them around town. I'm intrigued by the challenge that you face and other automakers too and anybody else trying to get into this. As you said, there's so much uncertainty. Nobody really knows where it's going to go. But in putting your strategy together, how do you make the decision of do we make it or do we buy it? I mean, you're putting a tremendous amount of research into autonomous vehicles. Why don't you just go to Google and buy their technology? Well, first off, I think we bring, uh, John, a number, we have to step back and say, what is, the, what is the opportunity here? Whether it's AVs or connected cars or mobility in general. And we view, you know, today's industry as we define it, and you know, if you add up all the uh, automakers around the world, it's about a $2.3 trillion business, more or less. If you open that lens, that aperture on the lens a bit to transportation services, which encompasses a lot of those things, it's more than double. And it's gonna grow probably at a faster rate than the traditional business over the next 10 to 15 years. So that's the business rationale. There's a huge opportunity there. And then from, from there, we have to ask ourselves the question as a company uh, is, because we have limited resources, manpower and financial. And we have to ask ourselves some important questions about where we're gonna play, where we're not gonna play, and then how we're gonna win. And really convince ourselves that we can win. So as you look at AVs, you know, we've been at, we think we bring some very unique uh, advantages to this. First, we've been at developing AVs for over 10 years now. We were, we were the only OEM team in the first DARPA challenge over 10 years ago. We have this globally recognized and admired brand, which not only helps us attract customers, it, it helps us attract great partners. And as we develop AVs and technology, et cetera, uh, we will partner and we are partnering. We have a great uh, finance arm, uh, Ford Credit, that is, is, is very knowledgeable on how to process payments, how to keep customers um, uh, satisfied, how to drive loyalty. And then finally, and this is, I think, very much underestimated in the industry, we are the ultimate systems integrator. We've been integrating hardware and software and technology in our vehicles for many, many years. And that is a unique skill because you have to be able to produce technology and, and vehicles at scale, at affordable cost and great quality. And when you marry this virtual driver system, which is the brains, to the autonomous vehicle platform, which is the vehicle, that is, first off, it's really hard, but secondly, we know how to do that. You've also said you think you can get a 20% margin out of the mobility services end, which is more than double the 8% you get from the traditional business. How do you get that, and when will that arrive? Well, if you look at some of our services businesses today, we, we already get that today in, in certain aspects of our business that are services related. 
And our goal very clearly is to earn at least a 20% return on those services going forward. And uh, we think that's a good metric for us to drive not only how we decide to invest our money, but ultimately, obviously, uh, the returns that we want to see on that. And all the automakers, such as yourself, will continue developing their own proprietary systems? Or at some point, do you see some sharing of common knowledge and common equipment? Well, I think first, first and foremost, what we'd first like to start seeing is making sure there's a common regulatory framework. Uh, that's, that's really important. And I'm really glad to see, for example, here in the U.S., NHTSA take a very forward-leaning approach to making sure we have uh, one national standard, if I could call it that, on AV regulations versus individual 50 states. Because if we, as, a, as an automaker, had to design to 50 states uh, different different regulations, that would, be, <laughs> that would be really hard and not very economical. In terms of uh, a standardization across the industry, I mean, our goal is to have a fully autonomous vehicle uh, in 2021. Now, you know, we'd love, you know, Nirvana is have everybody use the same, same system, but I think everybody is bringing their unique skills and their unique point of view on this business. And for us, we want, we're taking ours to that, and we'll, we'll have to see what happens. But I, I don't see initially one common standard across the industry, because everybody's working on it. I want to get into a different part of the business. A couple of years ago, Ford Motor Company created uh, a unit, a business unit, I guess is the right word, uh, Ford Performance. Uh, we saw the, the data recently that I think you're going to sell 200,000 performance cars. And that's what Porsche sells in a year. Uh, I'd like to hear uh, some of the strategy of how you identified that you should go into this business and, uh, and the benefit it, uh, that it's generating for the company. Well, the way we're thinking about the business, and uh, we, we've talked about this uh, at our investor day, is we're looking at our business of fortifying our strengths, of transforming the underperforming parts of our business, and growing in the emerging opportunities, whether it's electrification or autonomous vehicles or mobility. But when you get to the fortifying the strengths, one of the strengths that we have is our performance vehicles. And the way we looked at this, John, is first off, we have incredibly uh, enthusiastic and loyal uh, customers for a lot of our performance vehicles, whether it's our Focus RS that we've just gone global with, but if you go to Europe, uh, you know, we have tremendous advocates there, or our Mustang, the, the GT350, the GT350R, the Shelbys, uh, Raptor, uh, so, so the reason we looked at it, we said, listen, not only, first off, not only is it profitable business for us, and that's important, but it drives a great brand, a brand halo for our brand, and you get these advocates all over the world who also help our brand. And the thing that struck me, John, was when we were considering taking the Mustang Global, and as you know, with the 2015 uh, vehicle, we went global for the first time. As we were developing that vehicle, and as we were thinking about the performance business, the light bulb all went on in our head is, you know, there were 300 Mustang clubs around the world, and 299 of those countries, or there thereabouts, we didn't sell Mustangs, officially. Uh, they may have been gray imported, et cetera. And so from there, we said, listen, this is a great business opportunity. Let's, let's put the, 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 the unit together under Ford Performance, under Rajneer and Dave Parasak. And it's great business for us, and it drives great customer loyalty. Well, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You've had record profits. You have this very ambitious autonomous and mobility strategy. 
yet the stock market has not really rewarded you for it. They, right. they reward Tesla for a tweet, but they don't seem to reward you guys for the very solid blocking and tackling you're doing. Why not, and what can you do about that? Well, obviously, uh, uh, as, a, as a business, as you look at just our business and business in general, we've been obviously buffeted by a lot of uh, external events over the past uh, two, three years, whether it's Brexit or whether we're, you know, people think we're at on the industry here in the U.S. or the weakening of the dollar, you know, y you name it. And as we've looked at that, uh, first off, we've said to ourselves, listen, it is really important that uh, we stress the things that we're working on and how different we are as a company. If you think about uh, what we've done in terms of restructuring the business to make us much more fit for the next downturn and at the same time make sustainable dividends a very top priority, uh, that's something that we're focusing on and getting the message out. At the same time, uh, we've uh, had a lot of improvement in our operations outside of North America. And as investors, I think, are looking at the industry, they're looking at the macro factors. They're looking at, is the industry is at, at a peak? The impacts of Brexit. And that's why we're focusing on how we are a very different business than we are today. Also, I think investors are looking at a lot of this disruption out from either uh, you know, new, new entrants that we never thought would become competitors in the auto industry to new business models that are out there. I think they might be underestimating the progress that we're making there. So we're just going to stay very focused on the four things that drive value in a company is you know, around profitable growth, around improving our returns, de-risking the business, and making sure we reward our shareholders. And, and we think everybody associated with Ford over time with that will benefit. And as you said, we're coming off the last year of record profitability, record profitability in the first half of this year. We're just going to stay focused on running a good business. Mark, you've um, taken a lot of criticism from the Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump about building a new small car plant in Mexico. And I think you've explained your position on that pretty clearly. My question is about the uh, jobs in America. You've brought back a lot of jobs uh, since the recession. Right. But have you kind of maxed out on what you can add in terms of uh, hourly employment in the United States uh, without building another plant, which I assume uh, would be a tough proposition? Well, if you look at the, if you, if you look at the numbers, um, you know, we have, we have over 55,000 hourly workers here in the U.S. And as, as we've mentioned, it's the most than any automaker here in the U.S. by far. We, we produce more vehicles than any uh, automaker here in the U.S. When you look at uh, our new UAW contract, for example, as we said, we've, we've created 28,000 jobs since 2011. In the contract that we signed in 2015, we agreed to either sustain or create another 8,500 jobs. Um, now, that's going to be, a lot of that depends on the market itself and, and driving and our growth in the marketplace. We're always looking for opportunities to grow our business. And where it makes business sense, you know, we, we, will, we, we will grow, we will add workers, et cetera. And we always look at it through the lens of we've been a, a company for, since the founding uh, of Henry Ford, build where you sell. And as you grow the business, make sure that everybody benefits. I mean, Henry Ford had a great saying. He said, a business that makes nothing but money is a poor business. So yes, we want to make money. We want to make strong returns. But we want to grow employment in the communities in which we live and work and, and sell vehicles. 
But Mark, in, uh, sorry, go ahead, Bill. Uh, just to follow that up, is it, is it conceivable, though, that someday an American car company would build another assembly plant in the United States? Or has Mexico just become um, you know, a great opportunity for certain products that you preclude from building here? Well, I think I can't speak for any other car companies. I think from our standpoint, as we grow a business, we are you know, always open to making sure it makes good business sense for us. And let's look at the, the case of what we're doing with our manufacturing footprint here in the U.S. I mean, yes, we are moving our small car production you know, out, of, out of Michigan and in, down uh, into Mexico. And part of that is driven, but we're, we're, we have to be customer driven. In that segment of the market, Customers want, they have, they have a certain value in their mind, and we have to deliver that as a company. Great product, but also at a great value. If not, guess what? Customers aren't going to buy the product, then people won't be working. And at the same time, as we said, we're bringing in two new products into our, our plant here in Michigan, which are, are, again, zero jobs will be affected. And, you know, at the same time as, as, as we look at this, it's, it's really important to keep that in mind that we've also brought work back from places like Mexico. In Ohio, in our plant right outside of Cleveland, we've brought back our medium-duty trucks, mm. and they're selling great. So where it makes business sense, we'll take appropriate action. Mark, why is Donald Trump picking on the Ford Motor Company? And the reason I ask that is, and I've got to look at my notes here, Fiat Chrysler has announced it's stopping production of all passenger cars in the United States. In fact, Fiat Chrysler is moving production of the Jeep Compass out of Illinois down to Mexico. General Motors is doubling its manufacturing footprint in Mexico. What'd you guys do to Donald Trump? Why is he picking on you guys? <laughs> you know, it's interesting, uh, John. It seems every election, somehow somebody in the auto industry is, 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 is dragged into the election itself, for whatever reason. I think it points to the importance of the automotive industry and the importance that it plays not only in terms of employment, but just overall economic development. And, you know, listen, it's presidential, you know, election season, and there's lots of things said on the campaign trail. You know, there is usually a difference between the rhetoric on the campaign trail and actually governing. I mean, our approach as a company is, listen, we, we, we will work with whatever administration, and we have worked with whatever administration is in power uh, at the time, to do our part in terms of driving economic development, but also running a good business. And we'll, we'll continue to do that. And when facts are thrown out that are not correct, we will be there to correct those facts and speaking as a company because it's important that we do that. You have talked about how the U.S. market is, is slowing and I wonder, is that maybe what people need to see eventually that you will move through a downturn and do it successfully and profitably, which is different than historical actions, and then they'll believe that Ford Motor Company has changed? Well, I think a lot of folks have, have believed we change. If you look at our lineup today versus our, our lineup eight, ten years ago, we're a very different company. If you look at our structure today, if you look at our profitability today and how we're running the company, as you look about how we're, we've been very open around the strategy of the company of moving from an auto to an auto mobility company and making sure we keep that core business of designing and developing and manufacturing vehicles strong and healthy, but at the same time, uh, pursue these emerging opportunities, which can provide new areas of, of growth for the, for, the, for the business. 
But, you know, at, at the same time, we, as we go into the downturn, and this is one of the things we talked about at our investor day, we are a very different company than we were in terms of the number of plants that we have, how they're utilized, the flexibility that we have around running those plants. And our goal is when the next downturn comes, whenever it comes, that we will be ready to stay profitable and also to sustain that dividend and to keep our credit rating. And, uh, you know, we, we, that's, that's what we're, we're aiming for. And in the meantime, we're not projecting a recession, but we have to be prepared for it. When do you expect it to come? You know, that's, uh, I, I'll ask your crystal ball is probably uh, as good as mine. We don't, in, in, in the next few years, we're not predicting a recession. When you look at the health of the consumer, uh, it's pretty good. But we know that at some point, you know, us, they call it a cycle because it goes ups and downs. And, and there'll be a cycle, and we'll be ready for it. Mark, you're on the board of directors of IBM. You know, we've been talking about autonomous cars and all the technology that goes into it. A lot of what goes in is artificial intelligence. Some call it neural networks. Others refer to deep learning. You're right there on the board, and IBM with Watson is at the forefront of this. What are your views of bringing this technology into cars or maybe even helping running your company? Can you feed it scenarios and have it spit out what you should be doing? Well, actually, uh, you know, we, one of uh, the things that we're replacing a lot of emphasis on, John, is data and analytics. And we've actually grown our data and analytics groups. By the end of this year, we'll have over 600 professionals, and we're going to grow that uh, considerably over the next number of years. Because when you think about uh, not only how we run our manufacturing plants and, and how our plants and our robots get sensors on them to be connected to the Internet of Things, um, you, can re you, can you can have a lot of predictive maintenance. You can be a lot more efficient in your plants and also improve quality, reduce costs. But then when you think about um, as our vehicles become part of the Internet of Things, as we you know, expand uh, modems in all of our vehicles, and as customers choose and opt in to share that data with us, that offers up a huge opportunity to satisfy customers in new ways and also at the same time create new businesses. And that's why I think when I joined this industry over 27 years ago, we were a manufacturing company. Today we're a manufacturing and a technology company. And I believe going forward we are going to be a manufacturing, technology, and an information company. Because when you look at the type of data and using analytics, you're going from from hindsight to insight to foresight. And that foresight where you can not only predict what's going on in your operations, but foresight on how to satisfy customers better before they even know it, I think is a huge opportunity for us as a business. In that same vein, uh, there's this great competition among the car companies and the Silicon Valley companies for talent now. Um, I guess in some respects, it's sexy to go work for a car company again if you're a, a young engineer or um, in, in the software side. On the other hand, how do you um, integrate these folks into uh, the traditional car mm -hmm. company culture uh, of uh, maybe not waiting for profits 10 years down the road, but trying to make things happen a little quicker than that? Well, it's a great question because as when we opened up our Palo Alto facility uh, beginning of 2015, we're now over 140 professionals there. We're going to double uh, the size of it between now and the end of next year. Uh, we're expanding our campus there. And it's very interesting. When you talk with folks, particularly in Silicon Valley, or just young folks in general, um, 
yes, you have to compensate them competitively, right? People, people want to be able to earn a paycheck and, and, and be paid appropriately. At the same time, they want to make their dent on the universe. They want to be able to say, I helped do this. And at the same time, they want to work with others that will inspire them. So our pitch to them has been, you can come to Ford, you can not only work if you choose on great you know, cars and trucks, uh, but you can also help change the way the world moves. Uh, if, if you're working on, for example, some of our mobility services or AVs or connected cars, and you can actually see the fruits of your labor, right? Rather than just you know, writing some code for you know, maybe another firm and, and, and not really seeing what that adds. And the way we integrate them with the rest of the organization, it's not an us versus them. We're basically, uh, we're basically saying, as we bring folks in for some of these new talents that we need, it's complementing the talent that we have in, in the business. And through technology today, we have multiple research and innovation centers around the world. And the new Palo Alto one is just plugging into the rest of the Ford network. And then finally, you just embrace them. I spend a lot of time out in Silicon Valley, as well as a lot of my colleagues, to A, get educated, but also to say, hey, you know, you're part of the Ford family, and we love that. Who, who's more surprised, them when they meet you and learn about you, or you when you meet them? Well, I always learn something when, uh, when I'm spending time with uh, well, our young people in general, but also when I go out in Silicon Valley. And, you know, I think it's a, it, it's a combination. And I ask everybody, I say, why did you come to Ford? And a lot of them say, because, you know, I, it, I get to work with really interesting folks or I get to work on great projects. Because when people come, particularly young people these days, they come to companies, particularly Silicon Valley, they're coming to work on projects, not necessarily a company. And so we want them to work on great projects. And as they do that, fall in love with the company because you can have a great career at Ford, you know, not just in Silicon Valley. We're a global company. You can live and work in places you never thought you imagined. I've lived and worked in places I never thought I've imagined. And with that, that's the perfect wrap-up. Mark Fields, CEO of the Ford Motor Company, thank you so much. It's been Thanks. terrific here. Bill Vlasic, New York Times. Keith Naughton with Bloomberg. It's been great having the both of you here, too. Thanks, John. Of course, I want to thank all of you for having tuned in.